has a grateful heart this morning? Anything that you're grateful for? Besides the air in your lungs? Come on. If that's all you're grateful for, you are here, you are upright, you are breathing. I'm so proud of you for being here this morning. I really am. I'm so excited. There's other places you could be, but you're here to worship because people need you to be here. You just don't need to be here for yourself. People need you to be here. Am I right? Yeah, you need people? Do you need people? Yes. All right.
together because your, your worship set today is brought to you by Psalm 103. Okay? And we're going to read it together. How about that? So with me, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Who receives it? There was a chorus that we sang in church growing up, and it was, uh, I didn't know it was scripture because I was a kid, but um, it was the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 38, 22, and 23. And if you have to look steadfast up like I did, I've been Googling a lot of words lately because um, I'm just digging a little deeper, but uh, steadfast is unwavering. It is committed. It is devoted. And that is the love and the mercy and the goodness that your God has for you. Amen? That's what he has for you. It's unwavering, committed, devoted, and it's yours. He knows you by name. It's yours. Just receive it. Amen?
Heavenly Father, it is so good, so good for us to be in your presence this morning. God, you are the God who never leaves. You are the God whose steadfast love endures forever. You are the one that promised never to leave or forsake us. God, you are always here. We are never, never without you. 
God, we pray that your spirit would come and sweep away anything today that is preventing us from just experiencing you, God, your presence, your fullness, your love for us, your desire to be with us. Lord, we didn't show up to find you here this morning. You are always here. You're always with us. You're with us when we leave, God. And it's only the cares of this world that try to convince us otherwise. So help us to stop. Help us to be quiet in our minds and our souls. Help us to sit at your feet today. Help us to know, God, just know so deep how happy you are to have us there and to be with us today. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that made that possible. We thank you that your steadfast love endures forever. deserve this praise and all the praise. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you uh, for being here just to worship together for us this morning. It's good for you. It's good for us together to do this. It is, it is as good for us as it is just for you. Um, it is, it's good to be together in the Lord's house today. So welcome to you. If you are a guest with us today, uh, you are especially welcome. Uh, we are glad that you chose to be with us today. We would love to be able to connect with you, uh, either by you filling out one of the cards on the chair in front of you and dropping that in the offering bucket as it goes by or connecting with us at the guest table out in the lobby today or online. Just any one of those, we would love to just acknowledge you and connect, be able to say hello uh, and tell you in person that we are glad you're here. I'm gonna ask the ushers to come forward as we consider uh, continue our time of worship today. Uh, giving is part of what we do each Sunday. Uh, it's a vital part. It's an important part. I'm gonna be honest with you guys today and say sometimes for us who stand up here, it feels like a, it feels like an awkward part. It does a little bit, but it shouldn't. Uh, it shouldn't for me because when we give, we know that we give in response to the one who gave all, the one whose presence we sit in. We give because he gave. We love because he loved us. And this is part of how we do that. And we continue to worship him and lift him up by saying he's worthy of me giving him some of what he's given me. If you're a guest today, we want you to know you're certainly not obligated. Uh, but God asks us always to give joyfully. And you and God know how you can do that. And just want to pray for this offering today as we continue to worship. Father, we thank you that you have blessed us with the time and the means to be here. God, you have made us who we are and given us all we have. And we want to worship you with a part of that. Lord, we love you. May you take this and use it for the magnificent things that you do 
in our church, in our community, and in our world to bring you glory. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, as far as I know, uh, we don't have an announcement video this morning due to a technological hiccup. Uh, so, I'm the announcement video. Ta-da. Um, I want to, again, thank you all for being here today. There's a couple of things we definitely wanted to be sure to go over. One is uh, that we're going to talk about the new check-in system. There's a new check-in system in children's ministry that I know nothing about um, and can't give you any details. But I know that we are implementing a new system, just kind of upping our game, upping our security, upping just our protocols to make sure that our children are well taken care of well corralled, well loved, and that you don't try to leave them with us when you go home. Um, but just know that when you go and you're checking in kids, that if the system has changed a little bit, that's a new thing that we're implementing just to help better take care of our children and your children and just be aware that that's happening. Also wanted to thank all of you who came out and helped and served or contributed to or enjoyed the first responders lunch this week. Uh, it was a beautiful time together on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I believe we served the most responders that we have ever done in the history of this. Uh, it was a great, it was great. <clears throat> it was fantastic. Um, and it was wonderful just to see the people here from our church who were able to come and serve and be a part of getting in that out and just welcoming in the first responders and just as well as seeing the, the crowds of vehicles uh, that pulled up in front it was it was great it was great to have them here it was great to be able to do that and minister in our community that way so thank you for those of you who took part in that i believe that is all the announcements that the fake video has for you this morning so thank you again for being here and please welcome pastor Corey to the stage oh thank you fake video um, man, hey, everybody. I uh, have one more announcement just to throw out there. Simply because I just received a text message from a staff member showing me a picture of the 18 toddlers that are currently in one classroom, um, which is a blessing from God. <laughs> and also... An opportunity for, uh, for, for each and every one of us to help, even in areas we didn't know you may not have known we needed help. And then some of you are like, yeah, I know you need help back there. That's why I dropped my kid off and ran. Um, <laughs> look, guys, there's something about serving in your church, in your home body. Like, I, church isn't a building. It's you and I. But, but you and I, it's, it's not just an existence. Church is... It's a life, and part of that is helping out so that families can come in here without their screaming child and enjoy a service. Uh, we are blessed in that our, our, uh, our children's crew have worked it out where, in theory, like, you shouldn't, have to, you shouldn't have to volunteer more than two Sundays in, like, a two-month period. It, they've worked it out really well. It's close to that. Um, so, hey, there's just a plug to help out. All right. 
I can see how excited you guys are already, like just with anticipated breath, holding on to every word that I speak this morning. Uh, Welcome back to week two of Rise Up. A simple seed of faith. Do this real quick. Just help me out. How many? How many were here last week? Uh, just a quick show of hands. How many people were here? Saw the message. Heard the message. Good people. Awesome. Awesome. For those that didn't, um, you're behind. Uh, <laughs> look, this today's today's going to be a uh, a special message. I'm I'm titling today um, certainty in extraordinary uncertainty. Uh, and I'll say that this, this, uh, this message, this idea was the premise behind a lot of my thoughts through, um, through this whole series. The idea of this series kind of came about through thoughts I had that we're going to discuss today. That as I looked around, I, I, saw, I saw friends, I saw brothers and sisters in Christ that were uh, struggling and hurting in, in ways that I, I knew they never dreamed or planned of. Numerous people here in this room this morning with doctor's reports that, that uh, are seemingly bleak. They, they leave you with questions. They leave you with just a whole lot of unknowns, uncertainty. Others here... that are now questioning if you have a family. You've gone through struggles, you've gone through hardships, and you've been able to manage, you've been able to keep it together, but now you and the spouse are at at odds in such a way where it seems like it's final, it's over, and you're sitting there looking at everything going, "This this this isn't what I planned for my kids, this isn't what I planned for our marriage, this isn't what I planned. There's so many different areas of life that each and every one of us are are dealing with uncertainty, questions. Today, I mentioned today is special. Today at the the end of my message, we're going to receive communion together and celebrate, we're going to celebrate one of the most dramatic moments in all of human history. And this moment began in, in a, a, an upper room, a situation that we now call the Last Supper. But the Last Supper wasn't just a meal being served, like the last meal before Jesus died. This was, this was the Passover. This was, something, this was something so much deeper. Something that meant so much more. This was a celebration of God having provided freedom that had then been celebrated for 1,400 years. It was reverent, and yet it was a celebration. God's freedom for us, his people. And yet this year, this year was different. This year was different, maybe even more specifically, Jesus, Jesus and his disciples had celebrated the Passover for, for the last couple of years together. And things were different for Jesus and his disciples. In the years leading up to this moment, Jesus, Jesus was a superstar. 
Jesus was a, a cultural icon. Jesus was, was the one that everybody wanted to see, wanted to be around. And, and there were people that would literally just hanging on every word that Jesus said, would follow him for days, forgetting that they didn't have food to get back home. They, they hungered for his word that much. That's who Jesus was. That's, that's what the disciples had come into. I, you know, you know that you know the disciples had to be just kind of hanging on the notoriety of what was happening, of what was going on. Remember, in their culture, in Jewish culture, as a, as a young boy, if, if you excelled as a young boy, they, they would actually, rabbis would select you to be their disciple. If you didn't excel, you got the privilege of going back to whatever dad's business was. For some of the disciples, they, they ended up landing uh, on a job with means, a doctor, a tax collector. But all of them, every one of the disciples had been rejected. They didn't excel enough to be called into discipleship. So now, all of a sudden, here's Jesus, the, this, this mighty character. They're, they're walking around on the right hand and left hand side, and you know it got in their minds because they talked about it all the time. I wonder, I wonder who's the most important. They watched Jesus do some crazy miracles. I mean, they watched people's lives get transformed for, for eternity. I, I, and they were, they were his right and his left. But, but this year, as they gathered for the Passover meal, things weren't going as well. The momentum had shifted. There's, there's rumors now that religious leaders are, are looking to arrest Jesus. They want to get him off by himself. They, they, want to, they want to isolate him from the crowds and they want to arrest him. And, and they had heard the rumors before and, and Jesus had even stood up to crowds, faced a crowd that was going to throw him off a cliff and, and then all of a sudden the crowd, when Jesus turned and looked at him, just parted. Like, I, I don't know what kind of face... Jesus gave in that moment. But a mob that was about to throw him off a cliff, he turns and just looks at him, and they go, whoa, sorry. <laughs> My bad. And they let him walk through. But, but this, now, now things were different. These rumors, these rumors were, they, they were getting heavier. There was more uncertainty in the air. Couple all that with, they got to know that if Jesus goes down, they're going to go down too. Like if, if the boss man goes down, you, 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 know, you know that you know you're hurting somewhere down that line. Your head's on the line just as much as, as his for sure. Couple all that with Jesus. 
he's gone from, from turning and facing the crowd, causing them to part, to now he's, he's talking about being taken. He's, he's talking about giving his life. For the disciples, things are uncertain. And yet, at the same time, I think like you and I, the disciples had a tendency of thinking, well, I mean, if God is for you. I mean, if, if God's on my side, then... Then, there, then things will always be more certain. There, there, there's not going to be less certainty. Because if God is for me, then, then things are going to go right in the end. Things are going to work out. Because wherever God is, there's certainty. There, there can't be uncertainty. And yet here we are, the disciples found themselves at a time when things were, were very uncertain. I think about the previous Passovers. Leading up to this moment, Jesus had, Jesus had told his disciples where they were going, what they were doing. There was, there was a feast that had to be prepared. There, were, there was thought that had to go into this. There was, in the previous years, there was the anticipation, the excitement. Get ready for this. Do this. This is where we're going. This is where we're going to do But this time, as we read through Mark's account, we, we find out that Jesus, Jesus hadn't even told them where they were going. In fact, all they knew, all they knew, Jesus had said, uh, we're going to go to Jerusalem and things are going to get bad. Guys, we're going to Jerusalem and things are going to get really bad. And the disciples were thinking what? Well, then let, let's not go to Jerusalem. Got it. But, it. but if we are going, well, then I, I know why. I know why, because if God is for me. It was weird. It was uncertain. And then they, they get to the outskirts of Jerusalem. They stop, and, and, and the disciples and Jesus wait for the sun to set. Gone are the crowds triumphantly yelling. Jesus waits for the sun to set. Waits for it to get dark. And then sends two of them into town. Things are uncertain. And then this is, this is Jesus' instructions. Hey, guys, listen, I want you to... I want you to go in town. There's going to be some mysterious man who's going to be carrying a water jug. Follow that mysterious man. That mysterious man is going to walk into a mysterious house. Follow him into that house. When you follow him into that house, you're going to meet another mysterious man. He's the man that owns the house. Tell the man, we're here for dinner. The, the disciples are going, wait, hold up. Huh? What? Wait, what? <laughs> What's crazy about all of it is Jesus had prearranged Passover in this 
mysterious man's hidden upper room and yet hadn't told his disciples, his closest friends, any of it. Why? In that moment, Jesus himself felt just as alone, didn't know who he could trust. Didn't want anybody to know where they would be because he knew that that he and the disciples were vulnerable. And so the disciples had to sense the uncertainty. They sneak into Jerusalem under the cover of night. Not not the big celebration of God's freedom that they're used to. Not, Not all of the things that they would normally be preparing for. They sneak into this home, they gather in this upper room, and things, things were extraordinarily uncertain. If that's not bad enough, they they gather, uh, again, sneaking in under the cover of darkness, gathering up in this mysterious upper room. They, They gather together for dinner in the very first words of Jesus. Jesus begins the conversation in all of the uncertainty, begins the conversation In Mark 14, verse 17, we read, it says, In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve, and while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you, one of you will betray me. The momentum is shifted. Things are uncertain. Jesus continues and says, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. In their culture, this this punctuated the insult. To eat with somebody is, is, is a lot like our culture. It was, it was an honor to be able to go into somebody's home, to be invited into somebody's home, even more so to be invited around the table, the place we gather, the place we relax, we let our burdens down, let our guards down. This was, this was a sacred moment. It was a sacred moment in a sacred place. This was the Passover that they were celebrating and they were gathered around together and, and Jesus is sitting there going, not only is it a friend, it's, it's someone who shares in this sacred table that we celebrate, where we celebrate the amazing things that God has done. One of you who eats with me will betray me. There was uncertainty in the air. I I, I think about Scripture, and I I think all throughout Scripture, the Bible is full of stories that took place in the midst of extraordinary uncertainty. I'd I'd almost be willing to bet that your favorite Bible story, the story maybe you grew up hearing as a kid in Sunday school, or the story that you now love to hear, maybe it's the Scripture verse, the Psalm, the Proverb, that, that you make sure and you put on your bedroom mirror first thing you see when you wake up i can guarantee you that that passage that scripture 
was written during times of extraordinary uncertainty. You see, the Bible, the Bible's not a, it's, it's not a book where, where you show up to church on Sunday and God blesses you. You have the best Sunday afternoon naps where your kids don't ever wake you up. And then Monday, Monday you, you wake up and Monday's great. I mean, Monday's just amazing. And then Tuesday, like if you weren't already, now you, you meet the wife of your dreams and you, you find out you have the best kids that heaven ever provided. And then Wednesday, you go to work and find out you got a raise. Cause, and then Thursday, Thursday, you find out that those kids, they all got scholarships to whatever school they wanted to go to. Hallelujah, glory be to God. And then Friday, well, Friday, you have Fridays off because on Fridays, we celebrate the bank accounts that God has blessed us with. <laughs> and Saturdays, well, it's the lake, it's the beach, it's the mountains, it's wherever because glory be to God. And then Sunday, we meet him again. <laughs> the Bible's not a book that promises no pain. The Bible's not a book that promises no divorce. The Bible's not a book that promises no loss. The Bible's not a book that promises that everything will turn out happy for you. Every passage where we draw hope where we draw security from. They, they all came from times of trouble, from the lives of people who discovered while in the midst of extraordinary uncertainty that God was still certain. I think about teenage Joseph. Teenage Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, look, you, you, might, you might have problems with your brother or your sisters, but I highly doubt that any of your brothers and sisters, your siblings, were ever so mad, so angry at you that they threw you into a pit and then started having a conversation, all right, are we selling him or are we killing him? Because, <laughs> I mean, glory be to God, I've, I've got a brother who plays the keyboard for us. Like, I know, I know he's, he's working, like, God's on him, God's on him, you you can't throw me in a pit and, and, and have the conversation like that. Look, I, I can't imagine that Joseph in that moment, down in the bottom of the pit, hearing his own family saying, are we, are we killing him or are we selling him? Which one? I can't imagine that Joseph felt God in that moment. And yet, we read the story, we read through, and we find out, we know that God was with Joseph even when his own family wasn't. That God, re God redeemed a nation from out of the pain of Joseph's abandon. You read the story of King David. King David's own son raised up an army to conquer dad. I've, I've had some problems with my kids. But as of yet, as of yet, they have not raised up an army to conquer and defeat dad. 
yet. <laughs> and yet you read that story and, and you find out that even, even in the pain, even in the heartache, you discover that God was, God was right there in the middle of David's loneliness as well. The story of Moses. The story of Moses, a mother has a baby son only to find out that Pharaoh has decided to murder all the baby boys because there's too many Israelites. Your joy, your hope, your heir. And so here's a mother whose better choice is to put her newborn son into a basket, shipping him off down the Nile. As if, as if she were to say, if it's between the Egyptian butchers or the crocodiles, I'll take my chances with the river monsters. Yet you read that story and you discover that God was working even in the feeling of loss. Similarly, Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, they, they discover that King Herod in his jealousy and his rage has decided to murder every Hebrew boy under the age of two. Wipe out an entire generation. And Mary and Joseph, they escape back to Egypt, which, which remember, Egypt, Egypt is now a barren wasteland thanks to some plagues that had happened. And yet it was better for Mary and Joseph in their minds to escape the horror that was happening. It was better to escape to that barren wasteland with their baby, Jesus. And yet back home, Scripture says that there was a weeping, a wailing throughout the land. And yet you read, even in that, the weeping and the wailing throughout the land, you discover that God was beginning his biggest work. Right in the middle of all that pain. Every single story, every story that we read through Scripture, it seems like where, where things have spun out of control, all of, all of God's activity has seemingly ceased, stopped. You read these stories and you discover that, that even in the midst of extraordinary uncertainty, God is still certain. Nothing's changed. God is still in control. So back to our disciples who, they're uncertain. In Mark 14 and verse 22, again, remember, the, the, the disciples had grown up celebrating Passover with their family. They knew what Passover was, this celebration, this, this moment. And then all of a sudden, Jesus looks at them and he says this. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, this is my body that has been broken for you. Hold it, no, wait. I've done this before. I've done this, God. Then he takes the cup, he gives thanks, and he gives it to him, and he says this. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Uh, like, like, Jesus, for real, what do you mean this is your blood, this is your body? What are you talking about? And, 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 and then, honestly, while we're on the subject, Jesus, what, what's, with all the, what's with all the death talk? Uh, I mean, can you, can you stop all the negativity right now? 
does not make my dinner time a positive space. God, I don't want to hear it. I, I don't want to hear it. Because, because, again, if you're from God, if you're from God, if you are the son of God, then, then things work out. God turns things around. If you're from God, there needs to be more certainty, not less. And, and yet we know that Jesus is foreshadowing what's about to take place just, just hours, just hours from this moment when he's nailed to a cross. And his blood is spilt right in front of their eyes. There's uncertainty. They leave the upper room. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and there's, there's more drama. There's more drama, and there's more drama. Verse 27, Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, look, by the way, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier that, that one of you will betray me, but actually you all, you all are going to betray me, every one of you. And then he quotes God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, it's written, God speaking, it is written that I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. <laughs> Peter. Peter's following along. He's done. He's, he's had it. He's thinking enough. Enough enough of the negativity. It's over. Enough of the bad news. He, enough about death. He, he, enough about being taken, about all of this. Stop it. Enough about betrayal. We're not going to allow this to happen. Not going to happen because if you're the son of God, then that's not how the story goes. So stop it right now. That's not how this story goes. There's certainty. There's faith. And if I have faith, there's, there's certainty. There's miracles and then there's more. There's more, God. I know that there's more. In verse 29, Peter declares, even if all fall away, I will not. Even if all fall away, Lord God, I will not, because that's not how the story goes. It's not how the story ends. Even if everybody else abandons you, God, I won't, I will, I will stick it out. And that man with all his faith would hours later hear a young girl accuse him of being one of Jesus' followers and would deny ever having known him. All right. Here's my question. Here's my question for us. Here's my question for you. Here's my question for me. As you and I continue to experience extraordinary uncertainty, for some it's in your families, your relationships, your spouse, your kids, in-laws. Very well could be the lack of relationships. The loneliness, the emptiness, the hurt. But there's uncertainty. For others, it's, it's in your job. For others, it's, it's our culture. It's our leadership. It's our government, our economy. I mean, we, we go down the list and we watch the news and see how much worse it's getting. How much more uncertain it's going to be. It's our retirement doesn't exist. For some, it's your ability to get into a certain school, 
or to maintain what you need to maintain to be able to stay in that school. My question for all of us, with all the uncertainty in life, can you trust God? Can you maintain faith in God when there's no evidence of his activity in your life? All right. We're going to prepare to receive communion. I'm going to have our ushers make their way to the back and and gather together the elements. They're going to be coming up and down the aisles and, and passing this out. Um, just quick notes, as it's being passed, there are actually two cups in each slot. The top cup is the juice cup, which is sitting on top of the bread cup, which is underneath. Grab two cups, not just one cup. Otherwise, you're going to be faking like you're taking communion while the rest of us are legitimately taking communion. If you're here this morning and you don't want to participate, that's, that's fine. Just You can let the basket pass. But I, I encourage every single one of you, as all the commotion is happening, as they're passing the baskets, to pay attention. Stay with me here. Because I pray that you hear this. In all the uncertainty of life, can you maintain faith in God when there's no evidence of his activity in your life? Right? Because here's the dilemma. Here's the problem. We tend to equate God with prosperity. And, and why not? Why shouldn't we when, when we've been prosperous? Right? Or, or, or we equate God with, with forward motion. And again, why wouldn't we? We've, we've experienced forward momentum, the presence of the Spirit encouraging, nudging us forward. Or we equate God and his blessings with physical, tangible blessings. And again, again, why, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't our minds go there when we've experienced physical blessings from God? But all of that may have very well created a, a, a false pretense in our minds. Because I think, I think, I think this, if, if you could ask the disciples two questions, if you could go back and, and sit down the disciples and ask them these two questions, the first one being this. For you, what was, what was the darkest moment as you followed Jesus? When, when was it that you had the least amount of hope? When was it that you began to wonder if, if maybe, maybe you made a mistake? If maybe you had wasted the last few years of your life, if maybe he was just another false prophet. When was the darkest moment? I'm, I'm certain. I'm certain that each and every one of the disciples would have said, it began. It began the night we gathered around a dinner table. began the night we gathered around a dinner table and we realized that things weren't going to get better. It's 
when we gathered around the dinner table that night and he, he promised that things were about to get worse, that, that we, his closest, his best friends, were going to betray him, that we would all fall away, that we would see him arrested, we would see him tried, that we would, we would watch him die. You want to know when the darkest hours were? It was, it was in the very moments that we were certain that we had wasted our lives and that God wasn't up to anything. And then, and then the second question, I think if we could ask each and every one of them, in, in your time with Jesus, of, of all the miracles that you saw, of all the lives that you saw drastically changed for eternity, where... Where do you think God did his greatest work? As an interviewee, my mind would start to wonder. Was it, was it healing the lame guy? Maybe, maybe, it was the, maybe it was the blind guy. Oh my gosh, it was the story of the... The woman with the issue of blood, was, was that the moment when, when, when Jesus just knew the power had left his body? Wait, 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 maybe, maybe, it, was, maybe it was when Jesus stood in front of the tomb of Lazarus and, and when Jesus just simply declared, Lazarus, come forth, and all of a sudden, it had been four days, the man was dead, and all of a sudden, he, he walks out. Was that it? Was that the, was that the moment? Oh, wait, it was, was it? Was it, was it when Jesus healed that little girl for that one dad? Was it the big miracle where, where the people, again, they had been so hungry just to hear what Jesus was going to say. They, they hung on to his every word so much so that they had, they had walked away from home and food. And, and so Jesus takes five loaves, two fish, and, and all of a sudden there's leftovers. of all the miracles, of all the lives that you saw changed, when do you recognize that God's presence was working the most? I believe their answer, each and every one would have said the very same hours where we felt like he was absent. The very same hours where we thought he was doing the least. Those hours when, when it felt like he was missing, when it felt like he didn't care, when it felt like it was all for naught, when it felt like we had wasted. It was in those darkest hours that God was doing his greatest work. It was in those darkest hours that God was most active. But again, but again, church, if you had asked in the moment, if you had asked in the moment, each disciple would have said, game over, we've, we've wasted our lives. We've wasted, this was not a man of God. For those of us who have chosen to follow God, to put our faith in Christ, God working in the moments when it feels like he isn't is our story too. For many of us, it's our, it's our experience. 
God takes broken things and does his most amazing work. God seems to wait for hopeless situations and then shows up in a way that amazes. The greatest blessings begin in the biggest of messes. The most amazing work, the most amazing works of God, they, they generally are launched at times, at times of personal brokenness. It's what God does. The question for you, the question for me, is will we maintain faith when we cannot see his hand? Because listen, here's what I need you to take home. Scripture's clear. Scripture is abundantly clear. God does his greatest work in, in the most uncertain of times. That idea, that truth, that truth from God, from Scripture, doesn't change the pain in our circumstances. I wish it did. I wish it did. I, I wish it did. I wish there was an easy button that, that said no more pain. The truth of this scripture, the truth of all of this, that, that God is doing his greatest work even in the midst of the most uncertain of times doesn't change the pain in your circumstance. But here's what it does. Here's what it does. That knowledge, that knowledge allows you to embrace every uncertainty with the certainty that God is still in control. That knowledge may not change the hurt and the pain of the situation you are currently walking in, but that knowledge allows you to face every single uncertainty with the certainty of knowing that God is in control. That although your life may be uncertain, God is not uncertain. That although even your family, your situation, your relationships may be uncertain, God is not uncertain. That although the economy is uncertain and things are up in the air and there's turmoil left and right, even though those things are uncertain, God is not uncertain. Although the world itself Although the world itself seems to be uncertain, God is still certain. Regardless, regardless of what we see or what we don't see, even through circumstances where it's difficult, even through situations and circumstances where it's maybe even impossible to see the hand of God in the situation, God is still in control. 
God is still certain. God is still on his throne. God is still a God that we can worship. God is a God that you and I can continue to trust. Even though our lives are uncertain, he is not. God can cause you to rise up with certainty even in extraordinary uncertainty. If y'all will stand with me, we're going to receive communion together. those out. As they, uh, as they're passing those out, guys, I looked over and I was like, wow, they were fast. Like, I, I never even saw them move. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something that I, I don't know, I started thinking of this morning and the whole time I was thinking of it, I thought, no, don't, don't do that, that's weird. But it's not, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed, I'm honored. Melissa and I had a phenomenal sabbatical. It was a, it was a great time. Um, and, and, and even in that sabbatical was full of uncertainty. How are things going here? What's what's happening here? What, what you know? What am I coming back to here? Is have they all walked away? <laughs> are they still there? There was uncertainty on me, but but man, the true face of standing in the face of uncertainty was a group of pastors that held the fort down here. I, I want to actually invite them up with their families. <laughs> I know they're not expecting it, nor do they really appreciate it at the moment. Um, but I, I want to invite our pastors up with their families. Will, I, I know your family is taking care of sick children at the moment. I will let you stand by yourself for them. But uh, Pastor Greg, Pastor Brandon, their spouses, mine over here leading the worship. Um, I, I just, I want to celebrate with them as we celebrate together. Uh, these, these three, these three stood in the face of uncertainty. How's it gonna go if Corey leaves? I, I think they were actually hoping, <laughs> when is Corey gonna leave? Uh, and, and yet, not a hiccup, not a thing. thing. I, I, I come back to things better. God moves in the midst of uncertainty. And I truly believe and believe in my heart, and I'm going to share it with you here, that, that what God is doing, even in the midst of uncertainty in, as, a, as a whole. Corey, what is God doing in this building? What is God doing with us right now? Oh, look, man, God is moving. Where is he moving us? I don't know. Do you mean he's moving us from this building? No, absolutely not. Keep paying for it. 
We promised we would. But I see God doing something in the hearts and lives of his people like he's never done before. That, that you and I, as the church, recognize that there is a multitude of churches here in Paris that are trying to accomplish the same thing. That we're trying to come together and be the body of Christ. But it requires you and me sharing faith. Not sharing differences, not sharing obstacles. It requires you and I sharing faith, joining in communion. Jesus sitting down to a dinner, even with with people whom he knew were going to betray him. He could still celebrate God's freedom and what God was going to do in that moment of brokenness. That even in the hurt of that moment, the recognition, the the, the realization that everybody at that table was going to deny him. He still rejoiced in the truth of what God was doing through that moment. Again, I'm I'm not trying to make your... uh, terrible situations painted with rainbows and and unicorns and it's all better. It's going to be great. Here's what I am going to tell you guys. In the midst of your uncertainty, wherever, wherever you stand today, God is still a God who's certain. God is still a God who loves you so much that he said, I'm giving my life so that you might have life. Reading in Mark 14, verse 22, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to rejoice in a body that was broken, a body that was torn. Lord God, that even in the midst of that uncertainty, you were certain about the life that you were going to give for us. We thank you, Lord. Continuing, it says, Jesus took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Lord God, I thank you for your blood. The blood, Lord God, that that was promised even while I was still denying the blood that was freely given even while the whole table would fall away. God, we thank you for a blood that was spilt for the opportunity of a new covenant, no longer subject, Lord Jesus, to the the do's that we can't do and and the do-nots that we tend to hold on to. But Lord God, instead, given freedom, the blood of the Passover lamb freely given so that we might have life. We celebrate your blood today. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather together as family, brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity to stand with, with a group of believers who know, Lord Jesus, that even in the face of uncertainty, we can, we can stand certain. God is in control. God rules and reigns in our situations. And although our circumstances may not ever show forth his hand, we can still trust that God is a God that will cause things to bloom, cause things to rise up. It only takes a simple seed of faith. God, we place that faith in you. We thank you for the blood of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Guys, y'all have a very, very blessed, blessed Sunday afternoon. God bless you all.